Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Happy Father's Day. There's a lot going on in our world today. And our Father is still in control. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll send our children downstairs. Father, thank you that you love us. I thank you for what you've done for us through your Son. And I ask, Father God, that you would continue to work in us and through us. And I thank you that you include us in what you're doing. Father, thank you for your word. May it transform us into the people that you would desire us to be. And Father, I ask that you would be with the children as they go downstairs. That they would intently listen to the words. That they would understand who Jesus is and what he has done Thank you for the adults and the helpers. And I thank you that we have opportunity to fill the next generation with the truth of your word and the truth of your gospel. Thank you for this time this morning and for each person gathered here to worship and celebrate you. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Children are excused. These are very unique times in world history. And uh, I don't know about you, but there's days that I've, I've thought about, you know, just some history, and, and I don't even remember 2020. You know, it's like we're just kind of disheveled all the time. This is a unique time, very unique historical time. We've been through extraordinary transformation over the last two years. The relentless denial of truth is astounding, and, and truth has been replaced by lies, and the lies are accepted and defended. There's so much hate, and there's so much stress, and there's a lot of fear. There are some who proclaim that the solution to where we're at is to be found in politics. And there are others who proclaim there needs to be a, a radical revolution. Everything needs to be burned to the ground and replaced by some kind of utopian society. There are others who view the problem as totally inequalities of race and money, and, and they want to redesign society with some form of pure equality by redistributing wealth and reassigning racial importance. Along with all these conflicts, there's this fear that you're just continually hearing that we have damaged the earth's environment so severely that the human race will not survive without dramatic extreme changes to our lifestyle. This all creates stress. For many people, life has become stressful all the time. And people are weary. And there's very little trust. There's hate everywhere. One political party hates the other. One nation hates the other. We face this incredible geopolitical chaos. And this, is a, this is so hard. But this kind of confused, pagan, dysfunctional society is really nothing new. 
I mean, yeah, we've got all of our gadgets, you know, our technology, and we're a modern society. But really, nothing's changed a whole lot. If you look at the Old Testament and other sources of world history, but especially in the story of Israel, God's chosen nation, it, that, his people were surrounded on every side by anti-God, demonic paganism. You can see that in Scripture. There was intense violence driven by satanic influence in all people groups. So, so really, there's, there's very little that has changed. Like past history, we live in a world that's constantly evolving morale, morally. Uh, and we see this in some pretty bizarre ways. Sins not even thought of just a, a couple of years ago are now celebrated as liberating and, and legitimate those who profess to be spiritual and, and have some form of a religion, they, they demand a God who will be molded into their image of shifting moral standards. This problem has affected the church. Just like ancient Israel. Many within the church have bowed their knee to cultural gods. People who profess to be godly, have fallen in line with the, the world, and, and they hate their opponents. This can be very depressing. I think stress and depression have, have gone up considerably. And it's, it is so extremely easy for Christians to get sucked into the hate and the turmoil. However, I'm going to pause because I want you to get the however. Okay, so, so the reality part's been there. Now the however. And this is a huge however. The, the however is what's most important. However, God is still in control. My Father is still who He says He is. That's huge. On this Father's Day, we must remember as the church, we must remember that our Heavenly Father has a perfect plan. That's huge. So he's got a plan. What, what's his strategy in all this? What's, what's God doing? How do, we, how do we negotiate all of this, this paganism and this evil that surrounds us? What's his plan? And in one way, it's kind of simple. It's his church. It's us. We are the church. Believers gathered together. We're the church. That's God's plan. His plan in these times and as history unfolds is for his church to be incredibly strong and for his people to be incredibly active within the church so the people around us can go, that church thing, that's pretty amazing. His plan is the church and for the church to be incredibly strong. Our response to these difficult changes in society 
need to be directed at strengthening the church. That's, that means strengthening each other and, and building each other up as believers so that the church is strong. So this is a strong church message. Periodically, we're going to be doing these strong church messages because I really believe this is what God wants so much for our society to see the church is strong. So here's some indicators of a strong church. This is, this is just nine I picked for today. There's, there's a few more than this, but the, here's, here's nine for you today. A strong church must be intensely passionate about the Bible, the truth. Those that don't know the truth, the way you fight that is with the truth. You, we need to be about the truth. That's the Bible. That's our source. A strong church is a church deeply devoted to worshiping God. Worshiping God. In every aspect of life, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week, we worship God. That's a strong church. Not just in music, but in every aspect of life. A strong church has a plurality of, of godly, passionate leaders. In this church, we, we call those elders and pastors. The church needs to have that strong core of leadership. A strong church has aggressive and active people in ministry. And, and by aggressive, I don't mean that you're aggressive and fighting with one another. You're aggressive in the work of the kingdom. And you're active in the church. That's a strong church. Strong churches emphasize discipleship coupled with evangelism. I am not here on this planet to make converts. I want to make disciples, people who will become totally consumed with Jesus Christ. The two to go together. Evangelism and discipleship. A strong church is highly devoted to healthy families. We need God in our families. And the church needs to help with that. A strong church has a spirit of sacrifice that will manifest itself in giving of time, talent, and money. We're only here for a little while. What are we doing? We're ready to sacrifice for the kingdom. A strong church has a caring, generous spirit, ready to help people in the church, but also ready to help those outside the church. A strong church is willing to change. We don't do things exactly the same way we did five years ago or ten years ago. We're willing to change, not change from the truth, not change in ways that would, would deny Christ or any of that kind of stuff, but we're, we're willing to go, you know, let's, let's be innovative, and how can we take the gospel to our community in a different way, and, and how can we approach people so that they see Jesus? So in those nine, and there's others, in any Evaluation of a strong church, there is one factor that has to be there. It's vital. It's a priority, and that is prayer. Prayer must be the priority in every area of the church. Strong church, strong prayer. Strong prayer, strong church. The Bible, it clearly teaches that we're to be a people of prayer. 
Here's a couple passages. Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Call to me. That's prayer. And Jesus taught on prayer, and we've heard this so many times, and it's, it's one of those things that we just kind of learn, and I don't think we pay a lot of attention to it. Matthew 6, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And sometimes we add, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's prayer. We're surrounded by all this evil and this, this paganism, and it, it creates a great deal of anxiety. I don't think I'm the only one who, who goes, man, I, uh, gets uptight. Am I the only one? And throughout my life as a believer, God has taken me to a place about prayer to deal with anxiety. Philippians 4, beginning of verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God and the peace of God which passes all, all understanding. That is amazing. All understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You anxious? You anxious about what's going on? Pray. Each believer is to, be is, is to be filled with prayer, ready to pray, going into the presence of God. And each believer is to be active in the church. We are the church. Church isn't this silly building. It's you and I, brothers and sisters, bought by the blood of Jesus. That's the church. If you're not active, get active. If you're not praying, amen. <laughs> Along with this idea of prayer goes this this incredible idea of our relationship to God as Father. It fuels this whole idea, and it gives us a greater understanding of what Paul expressed about prayer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray without ceasing. We should never, ever go through a day without praying. We can, we can pray all the time because it's relational. When Jesus taught his disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer, I just read it a minute ago. Our Father... Who art in heaven. The Greek form of father is pater. And in Aramaic, father is from Abba. And both of those terms are very often used to teach close relationship. This isn't some distant father that never has anything to do with you. God the Father is right there with you. This, is, this communicates relationship, intense, close relationship. Abba. Father, we cry. These terms teach us that in that close, close, close relationship, the believer is understood in prayer. When you pray, it, it's, it's impossible for us to understand this, but when we pray, you know, there's, 
I think there's probably around 120 of us in the room right now. So, so there's 120 of us, and if we all stopped and we started praying, and we're not praying together in, you know, in unison, but we're each one praying individually, and God hears us individually. I don't know how he does it. That's why he's God and I'm not. So all over the world, he hears all the prayers of his children. He is our father. You are his child. He hears you. You aren't overlooked. You aren't set aside. He hears you. And he loves to hear you pray. Jesus taught us that wonderful prayer and um, you find that, that, that same teaching of prayer in Luke. And, and I like a passage that goes on with Jesus' teaching about prayer in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9. He says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Our Father wants to hear your prayers. He wants to give you. He wants to fill you more and more with the, the Spirit. He wants to include you with what He's doing. Prayer is so amazing. But sometimes it's hard to understand. When we pray, the majority of the time, we come to God. We, we want Him to do something for us. We come to Him with some kind of desire, some kind of want, some kind of need. And what we're saying is we want God to change something. Change our circumstances. Change our health. Change our family. Whatever it might be. So when we pray, really what we're doing is saying, God, change something. Consider a couple of passages. 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. The hears us there implies that He's going to do something. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. It's familiar. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Hear from heaven. Heal their land. Forgive them. God, we're going to call out to you so that you will heal us and heal our land. We want you to do something. And most of the time what we're after is that something in our life would change. Isn't that not? Is that just me? I mean, that's where we go, isn't it? I'm going to ask the Father to do something and that's going to change my circumstances or or. Somebody else, we're asking for change. But there's a conflict here that arises because the Bible clearly teaches that God cannot change. He cannot change. Malachi 3.6 says it very clearly. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Why does he say you're not consumed? Because his mercy doesn't change. God does not change. 
Hebrews 3.18, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. God doesn't change. Change can be looked in, in two different ways. There can be change for better or change for worse. I started with what's changed in the past two years. A lot of things in our society have changed for the worse. But change doesn't happen with God. Both, change for the better, for the worse, are inconceivable with God. God cannot improve. He is never going to get any better. But at the same time, he's never going to deteriorate. He will never be less than perfect. He can't change. He isn't going to get better. He isn't going to get worse. This is a massive encouragement. It really is. Massive encouragement. And the, and the reason is, this means that his love is perfect and forever. It doesn't ever change. If he says, I love you, he loves you for all of eternity in absolute perfection. Wow. His forgiveness is perfect and forever. You are always perfectly forgiven. His salvation is perfect and forever. Every promise that he makes is perfect and eternal. God doesn't get better. He doesn't get worse. So we have this place that we can just go, that is so comforting. He is so good to us. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The security of our salvation then is based on God's unchanging character. So even though we come to God and we understand Him as our Father and we want to we do what, what we're supposed to do and, and here we are talking about prayer and every one of us is to pray and we think of prayer as changing stuff, God can't change. So prayer doesn't change His mind. There's passages that, that make it sound like, wow, what just happened? Moses prayed and God changed His mind. Those, those are hard. Our, our prayers can't give God more information. You know, many, many times we'll get together and we'll be praying for something and we, we give God the entire diagnosis of someone's illness. As if he doesn't know. What is there that he doesn't know? For him to have missing information would mean he's not God. He knows everything that is possible to be known. He knows everything. So when we go to him, we don't need to inform him. What do we want him to do? Yeah, it's like praying for our sister who's here this morning and her back isn't hurting. That's God. I want God to heal you all the way, sister. Right? That's what we pray. I don't have to tell him, well, you know, you did this and you, or she's got this. 
I just want God to, I just want God to show up. We can't change his mind. So if that's true, and it is, why pray? He knows everything there is to know. He can do anything that's possible to be done. He's absolutely perfect. He has a plan and a purpose. Why pray? Why do we make such a big deal out of this? And why in Scripture does God place such a high value on His people praying? He wants every one of His children just constantly praying. Why? And I think the answer, even though the answer is not something that we're going to completely grasp here, but I think in a way it's, it's simple. It's complicated, but it's simple, both at the same time. It's God. The answer is this. Prayer is God's plan for how his purposes are accomplished. Our Father includes us in what he's doing. That's pretty neat. God designs and plans what he wants to accomplish. He does that and has done that. And he designs and plans the way his purposes will be accomplished. Both. How do those work together? I don't know. I'm really tired of trying to pursue that kind of stuff. God does stuff I don't understand. I'm okay with that. He has a plan and a purpose, and he has a way for that plan and purpose to be worked out. You see this repeatedly. Uh, Moses demonstrated it. God's mad at Israel. He goes up on the mountain, and God says, I'm going to kill them all. And Moses prays. And and that's one of the places where God's, well, I heard your prayer, so I'm not going to do that. God already had that established. God established everything that was going on. It wasn't that there was just all of a sudden God changed. Who changed more? Moses? Israel? Here's another example that doesn't have to do with prayer that may help us to understand this concept. God has always had a plan for salvation. And that plan was for his son to die on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for human sin. Amen? That's his plan. How did God cause that plan to take place? He used hostile Jews and pagan Romans to carry out his plan. That was his idea. He used Romans, the pagans, to carry out his plan for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So God has a plan and a purpose, and he includes us in his plan and purpose. Wouldn't a good father do that? Our Father wants us involved in what He's doing. God's ordained means to accomplish His purposes and plans are with us. Could He just do it Himself? Yeah. And 
quite honestly, if he did that that way, we all would have been annihilated because of his, his justice and wrath. God's ordained means to accomplish his purpose and plan is with his people through prayer. Every believer is included in what God's doing. There's, there's no one here who's a believer. If you're a part of the church, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you are a part of the church and you are a part of God's plan and purpose and what he's doing. Amen. He wants to use you. This helps us in prayer and it helps us to understand things like what James writes in James 5 about prayer. In verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. What kind of great power? Great power because we're in agreement with what God's doing. We're a part of his plan and his purpose. This also helps us in another really amazing place about prayer. Paul is exhorting Timothy. He's giving Timothy all these instructions. And one of those is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and it's about prayer. Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. It's all about prayer. Prayer. And, and the exhortation from Paul is that our prayer is expanded. He wants to broaden the concerns of our prayer. We get so narrow in our prayer life. It's me. It's what I want. It's what I need. Who cares if my neighbor's going to rot forever in hell? As long as I get what I want. Paul's saying, no, you need to expand your prayer. Prayer is not to be territorial. It's not to be narrow-minded. It's not elitist. It's not nationalistic. And it's certainly not racist. Paul says, pray for all people. And he qualifies that. He gives us some more information. High position, low position. And we, can, we, can, we can go on from there. Pray for the white, the black, the brown, the red, the yellow, the purple, the pink. Those with spots. I don't care. Pray for the Democrat, the Republican. Pray for the Soviet leadership. 
Pray for Muslims. This is a call for prayer, but it's also a call for us to enlarge our heart as the church. This is a call for praying for the end of bigotry and racism. It's a prayer. It's a time. It's a thinking to pray for those who are confused about their gender. It's a time and it's a call for praying for the abortionist. Pray for men and women, boys and girls to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people will come to me and say, well, I just don't know what to pray You want us to pray? I don't know what to pray. Pray that they don't go to hell for all of eternity. What kind of changes do you want in this world? You want to see abortion come to an end? Then pray for those abortionists that they would come to Christ. You want to see the world's chaos changed? Pray for Putin that he would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Can you do that? That's tough. That's what this is about. And this is why Paul's teaching is, is right there. It's, it's, it's in agreement with Jesus' teaching. Remember? Ch- Matthew chapter 5. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what's important. What are we praying? Are we praying, God, don't let them persecute me anymore. Is that where our prayers stop? God, I don't want them to make it harder for me. Is that our prayer? Or is our prayer, God, bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to know Jesus. They need to know that the church is real and strong and mighty and that you are real and gorgeous and glorious. If all we're praying for is comfort, we're wrong. May it never be said of First Baptist Church that we've contributed to the destruction of our world through hate. Instead, let it be said of FBC and all Christians, see how they love one another, how they do good to those who hate them. See how they bless those who curse them. Look, look at those people. They're praying for them, even even as they're being abused. Pray for your enemies. And in that passage in, in 1 Timothy, Paul sharpens the focus. He gets it really focused. He says in verse 3, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So God loves this. What's he love? He desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You don't know what to pray? Pray that people come to Christ. In that passage in 1 Timothy, Paul talks about peacefulness. Because peacefulness is only really truly found when you find Jesus. Peacefulness is in the advancing of the gospel. So salvation is the main thing. The gospel is the main thing. I think we get so caught up. It would be so nice if I could go through an entire week without conflict. Huh? 
Comfort is not the main thing. Lack of conflict is not the main thing. The main thing is the gospel of truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. We forget sometimes easily that we are exiles here. This is not really our home. As believers, we live here and we have this great and wonderful place. For us, it's America. I mean, how great is it to live in America? Wow! I want to be in the presence of my Father. We belong there more than we belong here. So I don't pray just simply for the prosperity of America. Do I pray for America? You bet I pray for America. What do I pray for America? That America would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't pray simply that we can be more comfortable and have more. I pray for the magnificent spread of the saving purposes of God in every land and for whatever it takes to spread the good news of Jesus. Think of that. Think of the people in this country. Think of the people all around the world who need to know Jesus. Does it matter to you that those who do not know Jesus are going to be separated from God for all of eternity? And the description we have in Scripture is horrible. Burning in fire with never, ever ending pain and, and the fire never goes away and never consumes you completely. You are in a horrible place. Is that what we want? Just so that we can pray and ask God for our comfort? Our Father loves us and He says, I won't give you that. But if we go to Him and we say, Father, bring Putin to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Bring the Ayatollah to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Bring that person who has such a warped concept in our political society, bring that person to Jesus. He said, I'll do that. I'll go there with you. That's what he wants from his children. He wants us to pray for the magnificent magnificence of his plan, the gospel. We pray to our Father. And many times we ask him for those personal things. And I'm not saying don't do that. Because he satisfies, he satisfies our loneliness. And he provides hope, real hope. And he provides that, that real love that we all crave. He is the ultimate resource for everything we need. And when we cry out to him, like I said earlier, we're not lost in the crowd. He hears you. He hears me. He knows you. He doesn't ignore you. He hears us, his children. And our Father he knows what's best. He knows. He, he knows everything that's possible to be known. So he knows what is actually the best. Even though it may look 
crazy to us. He has all the resources, authority, wisdom, compassion, kindness, knowledge, justice, everything in a perfect way. He has it all. So as believers, instead of screaming against the darkness and being agitated and struggle with depression and anxiety because of what is happening all around us, we can turn to the light. We can go, glory to God, we're going to see Jesus do things. We're always going to be with him. We turn to the light. We turn to the truth in prayer. We recognize God as the source for everything. This is a component of the church. In Acts 2.42, we're told that the first church was devoted to the word of God. And they were devoted to one another. And they were devoted to prayer. Are we? And in that first church, how did God respond to those prayers? Chapter 2, a little later, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The most exciting thing we can ever experience as the church is those who are coming to Christ Day by day. I was told earlier there was a young lady on the women's retreat that came to Christ this morning. I'm not going to embarrass her too much, but she's sitting right there. She came to Christ. Yes. That's what's important. We want to see God's power in our lives. We want to see Him do things, and we want to see Him demonstrate His power in our families and in our churches, and in our cities, and our countries. And we should expect God to do that as we passionately, persistently pray for God's plan of the spread of the gospel. When we care about people like He cares about people. How did He care about people? He sent His Son to die. Those that are outside of Christ are not the enemy They need to be rescued. And that needs to be the basis of our fervent prayer. So I challenge you today and every day to pray fervently for the ministries of FBC, to pray for your family. Those are givens. Let's pray for those things. We need to be praying for our missionaries who who are out there more or less on the front lines, praying for them. But as Paul taught us, we need to be praying for rulers and kings and all in high places. That's a challenge. That's a challenge for all of us. But that's what our Father wants. Strong church. Strong prayer. Strong prayer. Strong church. Father, I thank you for your word And I ask that you would forgive us for the frustration that we have 
because we're trying to figure out how to fix it all. Forgive us when we don't pray. I thank you, Father God, that for whatever reason you've caused us to live at this time in history surrounded by paganism. And you've given us the instructions. Call out to you. Pray. The solution isn't political. It's not sociology. It's not economics. Our battle is for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. We proclaim your truth and we pray for your kingdom. Show us the people around us as you see them and give us a passion for those who don't know you. And I ask, Father God, that you would make this church so strong that our community goes, I want what they have. And we can say, what we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us. We call out to you. Thank you for hearing us when we call upon you. In Christ's name, amen. Please.